MSW Media. News was Daily beans, daily beans, daily beans, daily beans. Hello and welcome to the Daily Beans for Monday, June 1st, 2020. Today we're joined by the former Solicitor General Neil Katyal to discuss the Flynn case and the third-degree murder and manslaughter charges filed against Chauvin in the George Floyd case. We have coronavirus updates with Jordan Coburn. Roger Stone is ordered to report to prison. Five nights of protests in American cities over the murder of George Floyd. A SCOTUS decision that you'll be happy about. Trump fires another inspector general. Dana Bente is also sacked as the FBI's top lawyer. The NSA issues a warning about Russia. And what will Marco Rubio do as the head of the Senate Intelligence Committee now that Richard Burr has stepped down? I'm your host, A.G., and with me today is Jordan Coburn. Hello. How are you? Okay. Um, yeah. Just doing okay? I know you went out to the protests yesterday. Yeah, they had one in La Mesa, and um, we left a couple hours before stuff started, like, before the police started throwing tear gas and stuff, and, like, the, the fires and looting started. It was very peaceful when I was there. All the stuff, everything, like, if you follow Black Lives Matter San Diego on Instagram, they're they're amazing about, like, posting updates and stuff about what's like blm sanctioned and what isn't and stuff and from everything that i'm reading i am pretty much exclusively reading things that like escalation efforts are not blm coordinated efforts at this point in time yeah no and of course we have Barr and trump saying it's antifa and left-wing organizations then we have actual photographs and video showing these uh, folks not wearing Antifa gear, but, you know, a lot of them are wearing Hawaiian shirts, which are the Boogaloo Boys. There are a lot of them are wearing Proud Boys emblems, which are all white supremacist organizations. But despite that, though, Trump is now trying to call Antifa a terrorist organization, but not, you know, the KKK or the Proud Boys or the Boogaloo right. Army or whatever the fuck they're called. Um, but yeah, I've I've noticed that none of the... First of all, none of the violence or looting is sanctioned by Black Lives Matter. Second of all, uh, it seems to me uh, from what I'm taking in and what I'm seeing, and of course I'm not out on the streets in every city, I can't possibly know, but the feeling is is that the violence is being escalated by the police in these situations, uh, either from being untrained or racist or too excited to use their military toys. I'm not quite sure, but it's, you know, we've been militarizing our police stations for for over a decade now, and I think that that's, I think we're seeing the the negative impact of that, and plus also, you know, um, reducing or eliminating some of the psych evals that have to take place in order to become a police officer. So it's just, it seems to me that the that it's the police that are escalating, um, and and not sanctioned Black Lives Matter. I, all I see from that is just peaceful protests. Uh, and I wish the media would share more of those because that, I think, is the majority of what's going on are peaceful mm-hmm. protests. Yeah, absolutely. I had a friend who, or I should say a fellow comic that I've met one time who on Twitter was at the L.A. protests and she wound up getting arrested. She's she's a white woman and she was, you know, very cognizant of the privilege that that entails. But she still said what she saw and she said, 
up until that point when the police car got set on fire if she said it was very obvious that it was done by police she said it was a super old squad car and she said like the way that it happened how quickly that it happened there's no way you wouldn't have been able to see like exactly you know like a protester coordinating that and and doing it and she said that she's 100% positive that cops did that themselves and I think that that's 100% possible and plausible for sure I mean cops have been planting criminality onto people of color specifically black people a fuck ton forever this is like what they do so I don't think it's surprising Mm -hmm. at all that they're doing this yeah and that's that was where they were having the standoff on Fairfax and third and neither the protesters nor the police were able to make any ground uh Put either by you know the police pushing the protesters back to to Fairfax, or the protesters pushing their way forward. They were just peacefully marching until the cops put a line up right. and said, "No, you can't go past here." And because honestly, I think it was because they were about to enter Beverly Hills, and God forbid yeah. we upset the rich people. Yeah, totally. Um, and and so that that cop car was a very old cop car. Um, a lot of people, uh, you know, say it was a bait car, and the cops set it on fire. Um, it it did do the trick it cleared the protesters out nobody could breathe in the toxic smoke of course the police force have the you know $500 gas masks uh and and can withstand that kind of inhalation smoke inhalation so it 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 could have been a tactic to make it look like the protesters were escalating into a riot it could also be a crowd control thing but but there's you don't have to make it a marked cop car in order to you know make your point um, but we're going to discuss a lot of that later. We're also going to talk, we're going to talk to, we're going to hear from Governor Cuomo about what he said, uh, about the protests today. Um, we, we do have, uh, still a pandemic happening, um, right now. And I know we have a lot of coronavirus news that we need to bring to you. Um, not because it's more important or it usurps any other kind of news, but we just want to make sure that you have all the news that you need. So without, um, without any other delay, let's hit the hot notes. Hot notes. All right, Jordan, what, uh, uh, what sort of coronavirus updates do we have from, from over the weekend? Yeah. Um, so we have a few updates. First update is about remdesivir. That's that antiviral drug. That is pretty much the only drug that's been showing promising results over this entire pandemic. Um, but now there's reporting coming out of the Washington Post, I believe it was, who first broke it, that's that's outlining how the Trump administration fucked up giving that medicine out, essentially, to people. Uh, they were delaying treatment effectively to a lot of critically ill patients in, in that mess up, and basically what was happening is they they were donated to the to the government by uh Gilead Sciences. It was 607,000 vials of remdesivir. It was distributed in early May. But what this reporting is showing is that in some cases, it went to the wrong hospitals. It went to hospitals that didn't have ICU. It had, and like, no patients that would need it. And then they also, Mm. or at least, like, basically, what... I mean, I don't. I don't think they could make the argument that uh, we'll just like this is a good time to just stockpile other hospitals that don't currently have people, you know, inundating their ICU beds. There were places that didn't even have ICU beds 
to house yeah, people no. and they were sending <laughs> and they were sending those hospitals this medicine um and then they also apparently were selling this was just it. a mistake yes and they were also se- i said selling but i meant sending um sending it to hospitals that didn't even have like the refrigeration that you need to store it and so then they had to like send it back to the government so there's a bunch of fucking huge mess ups when it came to distributing you know kind of like the one drug that seems like it could potentially help people doctors say that if they give this drug to people that are severe like seriously ill in the beginning then that's when they start to see more promising results um one of the well the director of the harvard global health institute said we think the earlier you get it when you're critically ill the more likely it is to be beneficial so delays could end up making the difference between whether the drug is effective or not the fact that we'd be so incompetent in our distribution of this that we'd inefficiently distribute the one therapy we have is stunning how can we make that mistake what are you working on that's more important than this Yeah, so basically the federal government is unable to coordinate shit and this is what happens when you fire your director of BARDA and uh, move people out that you don't like because they didn't pimp your hydroxychloroquine drug and now nobody with any intelligence is there to coordinate the mass distribution of a drug that actually does work, a treatment that does work or has been shown to work. And so now now I'm frightened uh, about the vaccine. And this is another reason we have to have a Democratic president in the Oval Office in January 2021, so that when the vaccine comes out, which will be after that, uh, although they're saying it could come at the end of this year, but that seems extremely uh, optimistic. We need a federal government in place that can distribute this vaccine uh, and coordinate the distribution of it to uh, 300 million Americans. And uh, this 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 administration has shown time and time again they are 100% incapable of fucking tying their own shoe. So, Yep. Absolutely. Um, my next story is also about the government sucking. And wouldn't you know it, it happens all the time now. They ba- Basically, this headline is just Trump has officially announced that they're pulling out of WHO. Uh, He said this on Friday, so we didn't have a beans out for that yet. We had known it was going to happen. It was already reported on. But Trump said uh, he's terminating our relationship with WHO because they failed to adequately respond to COVID-19 because China has total control over the global organization. The U.S. is the largest source of financial support to WHO. Um, So this is a really shitty thing for him to do and... He knows it is, and that's why he's doing it. He said they're going to be redirecting, the U.S. will be redirecting the money to other worldwide and deserving urgent global public health needs. Of course, that came with no details. Yeah. And meanwhile, the independence of the independence of Hong Kong is under attack. And of course, Trump isn't going to do anything because he's made a deal with that government, with the Chinese communist government, um, so that they can main con- maintain control uh, of Hong Kong. Um, so it's, it's bad. It's bad all around. Everything, everything is bad. (laughs) Yeah, very bad. Um, and my final story is about Supreme Court, a big Supreme Court decision on Friday. They rejected a California church's challenge of pandemic rules that were, you know, not allowing them to reconvene at full capacity. And Chief Justice John Roberts joined the liberals, actually. It was a five to four vote and Robert said that, um, you know, when when state officials like the governor, for example, 
are imposing those restrictions to prevent the spread of coronavirus. You you can't say that they were singling out places of worship for unfair treatment. If they were, then I think the assumption is that that would then be considered a violation of First Amendment rights, but it's not. That's not what they're doing, he's saying. He says, the notion that it is indisputably clear, that's in quotes, so I imagine that's a threshold, um, the notion that it is indisputably clear that the government's limitations are unconstitutional seems quite improbable. So that was that. Yeah, that's good news. Yes. Um, the people that disagreed with him were the conservatives on the panel. And I have a disgusting quote from Kavanaugh, which I fucking hate that I have to even read these words. And then the words... By Justice Brett M. Kavanaugh after it, but he wrote, California's latest safety guidelines discriminate against places of worship and in favor of comparable secular businesses. Such discrimination violates the First Amendment. Boo, you fucking suck. It's disgusting you're on that court. I fucking hate you. That's my response to that. And that's that story. Mm. We should put you on the court so that so that you can respond to <laughs> dissident opinions from... from uh from yeah. Boofer. Yeah. Boofer Brett Kavanaugh. Yeah. Yeah, that is really great news. Um It is, it is. Steve yeah. Laddick and I Steve Laddick and I had a, a, a long conversation about that last week. Uh, we didn't I, I didn't expect this ruling a ruling like this to come back so fast, but you know, he had said, "Look, look, look. Unless you are signal like singling out churches, saying everybody else you can gather, you can gather uh at uh, you know, at uh, Satan's Park, you can have 50 or more people over here. You can, uh, you know, in the mosques, you can have 50 or more people gather. But the Christian churches and megachurches, nope, you have to not gather in more than groups of two. Sorry, it's in Matthew uh, chapter 10, verse 6, uh, you know, only two people needed for church. And so, <laughs> and that would be considered uh, discriminatory, uh, 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 you know, and, and going against the rights of the church. But Ga Governor Newsom and other governors around the country, and this will apply to their decisions, too, are saying, look, 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 just no more than 10 people fucking anywhere. Sorry, you can't have it. Whatever happened to the personal relationship you have with God? Whatever happened to that? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah, somebody had said to me at one point, you know, people people don't go to church to find God, they go to church to share God. But, you know, you don't always have to share God all the time. You know, you can, you can, you can have <laughs> give, some, give you can have break. some, uh, <laughs> you can, you can have some running a train time, on you know? God all these years. Give him some fucking space. <laughs> choo choo. <laughs> train on God. Every Sunday he's like, ah, fuck. Yeah, here. He takes the last drag of his cigarette, puts it out under his foot. Yeah, here I go. <laughs> oh god that one got me uh, i'm going to hell and you're <laughs> all coming out on with me foot. all right <laughs> oh, <God. laughs> somebody posted a great really blasphemous but also incredible point you know because now the the people are saying and and that uh george floyd had underlying health conditions and uh potential toxicity or some bullshit that makes no sense mm -hmm. in the in the medical examiner's report and that you know as though if he weren't knelt on for nine minutes 
uh, he would have died right then at that exact same time, just dropped dead on the street uh, from his underlying condition. It right. had nothing to do with the the kneeling on the on the on the on the neck. Right. And somebody said, "Well, you know, Jesus was crucified, but he technically died of high blood pressure." <laughs> right. I saw that. Yeah. Yeah. It's not like fucking Groundhog Day where there's that man experiencing homelessness and Bill Murray tries everything he can do to save him, and then he still just dies. It's not. It's not one of those situations. No, it's not a groundhog day. Um, it's and and I thought that that spin was awfully familiar. Uh, it sounded an awful lot like um, the black community is dying six times more often of COVID nineteen, not because of COVID nineteen, but because of their lifestyle choices mm-hmm. and their their underlying health conditions, and then not freely admitting that those health conditions are a product of systematic disclusion in a healthcare system right. because of fucking racism and disenfranchisement yeah. for the last fucking however many decades. Look look at where Whole Foods exist. Yeah. And now we got National Security Advisor saying uh, what did he say today? It was absolute that there's no systematic racism in America. Oh wow. Our National well, Security Advisor. I mean, I guess that's not surprising that he would think that, but that's just yeah, horrifying to hear. I mean, I think one of the reasons why yeah. this is because like unarmed black men and women get killed every single, you know, I mean, every single day, really. And by cops, it's been happening forever. I think why this is boiling over right now into a, at least on the national front, black people can't take it anymore. COVID-19 is exposing, this is what I'm seeing as a white person, um, they can't come close to processing everything that's been happening and the dam that has been broken in any other way than to do what's happening right now. It's like, I mean, there's a whole spectrum of things happening, so I'm referring to all of that, but just like action. The notion of, of this amount of sustained action after after something that happens all the time, you know? So it's like, what 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 was the thing that made that the, it was the last straw? Black people have been dying at higher rates pretty much across the board when you look at any public health crisis. Cops, 100% included. So with COVID-19, that being something that was disproportionately and still is killing black people Also, it's like everything is disproportionately killing black people. Fucking everything. Obviously, Mm -hmm. this is going to happen. Yeah. Like, I mean, and I say obviously, it's not obviously. I'm surprised because I thought that we were at a place in our nation where everybody was so docile that this was just going to continue, essentially, and that we were just going to go into like the darkest, darkest, just keep going into a darker and darker place. And the fact that this is happening is it's a global movement right now. There's solidarity protesting in fucking London, in Iran, Berlin. And- yeah, mm-hmm. it's everywhere. It's it's like amazing. Not in that. I don't want to say it's amazing because it's like in a positive way. It's necessary and it should have been happening but they everybody's been so bogged down by so many so many different systems and i just think that the covid-19 pandemic was just like in a way the straw that broke the back for the black community in a lot of ways it was definitely something that exposed um 
in a very real way right or even the awareness of white people right but they're like it, it became tangible right um to to people other than to yeah to white people to people of not you know and so yeah i think that that exposure um definitely did it i think this is our arab spring this is the american spring this is morning in america this is what's going to have to happen um and i'm i'm standing out of the way i'm i'm you know uh, i'm here to elevate voices and Mm -hmm. be an ally and and stand the fuck out of the way because Mm -hmm. it's but you know it's we can't ignore it and it's yeah, I, don't know. I implore everybody to look up bail funds for sure and donate to your local ones, donate to the one in Minnesota. There, I mean, people are getting arrested left and right everywhere and it's only going to continue. There, There's police that are also left and right joining forces with the protesters or at least refusing to you know, enact violence onto them. And those are amazing examples to see, but still people are getting arrested, people are getting injured. People are getting hurt and donating to those funds is really important right now because protesting is such an important civil act. Right. Um, I say civil, just I just mean like people, like humans doing it. Um, it's so it's so important. It's and a right. It, and it's working. It's working and it does work when people come out and support in numbers to get past the threshold yep. of people being silenced. And for it to keep working and for it to keep happening, that means people are going to keep getting arrested. So keep donating to bail funds. And and every, like, just look up your local BLM chapter. They'll have all, they constantly post resources for ways that you can be, you know, like a better ally. Yep. Mm-hmm. Action you can take, right? Yeah. Yeah. Um, definitely. And and uh, before we go to break here, I just want to clarify, when I say morning in America, I don't mean Reagan morning in America. I mean morning, M-O-U-R. Right. N-I-N-G in America. Um, uh, anyway, yes, we will definitely be discussing more of this as the week goes on on the Daily Beans. Uh, Jordan, thank you for those updates. Everybody uh, stick around for a minute. We're going to have uh, more news from under the radar after this quick break. And then joining us later in the show, Neil Katyal. I'm very excited about that interview. So stay with us. Hey, everybody, this is AG for The Daily Beans. Due to the global pandemic of the COVID-19 virus, the job market has been uncertain for the past couple of months, and we don't really know what the future will hold. Uh, We're in uncharted waters here. And as a small business ourselves, we understand what employees and employers are going through right now. Employees are worried about their job still being there or having to find a new one, while employers are concerned about their business surviving and hoping that both customers and employees return. In the effort to dissuade fears and provide some assistance and comfort in these times, we'd like to relay the following message from our sponsor, ZipRecruiter. Right now, we cannot be overwhelmed. We have to work to keep our loved ones safe and protect our communities. We have to work to stay strong, to stay connected, to stay focused. We have to work to inspire, to innovate, to build new solutions. But for all of this to work, we have to work together. At ZipRecruiter, we connect employers and people every day, but today is different. So we're partnering with first responders, government officials, the medical community, the innovators, and the manufacturing, transportation, and food distribution industries to make sure we are finding the right people for the right jobs right now. Let's work together. ZipRecruiter.com slash work together.
All right, everybody, welcome back. Uh, Here's some headlines from under the radar. First of all, Marco Rubio, Bible man, he has taken over the Senate Intelligence Committee since Republican Richard Burr had to step down due to his being investigated for insider trading. But sure, vote red. Uh, As it turns out from Politico, Marco Rubio seems to be focused on Russian interference and reporting on that and not burying that narrative. Seems to be breaking with Trump on this. Um, I personally believe, and these are just beans, I have no evidence of it, but, you know, the investigations were dropped into Kelly Loeffler, Inhofe, and Feinstein. Uh, but the, uh, the investigation continues for Richard Burr, who headed up the Intelligence Committee, who had just released a report saying that the, the Republican-led Senate Intelligence Committee agreed with the intelligence community's assessment that Russia interfered in the 2016 election with high confidence. And they were about to release, uh, the Senate Intelligence Committee was about to release a uh, one almost 1,000-page uh, report on their findings about the counterintelligence investigation into the Russia uh, election hack. And so it's it was uh, not a surprise to me that Richard Burr was asked to resign from that post. And I thought that whoever was going to replace him would be blocking the release of that report. It doesn't seem that that's the case here with Marco Rubio. But of course, it could just be lip service. We will watch what he does and not what he says because we're smart. So let's see if he releases that counterintelligence report that's nearly a thousand pages on the Russia investigation. Russia, Russia, in, Russia, Russia, cannot talk today. Russia investigation and ICA, Intelligence Community Assessment. Also, the NSA has warned that the GRU, that's Russia, is targeting a vulnerability in unpatched Unix systems in the United States, and it's the same Russian intelligence unit that leaked the document files in 2016, the Democrats' emails. Uh, Member Cozy Bear. Uh, Just as Mueller said, the Russian interference is still ongoing, and there are no signs of it stopping. They're doing it as we sit here, he said. And we have something worse than an apathetic leader. We have leadership that wants it to continue, needs it to continue in order to win. All the way to the top of the intelligence agencies with Rick Grinnell and Ratcliffe. These assholes are the ones that now sit atop all 17 intelligence agencies. The thing that Mueller said was the single most important position going forward in combating Russian interference was to ensure proper and open and, and you know, effective and efficient communications between the 17 intelligence agencies. That is the job of the ODNI, the Office of Director of National Intelligence. And we have Trump lackeys at the top of that organization. And Roger Stone has been given 30 days to report to prison. By the end of June, he will be inmate number 19579-TAC-104. Maybe he can paint his number on some rocks and sell them from prison. And the Inspector General for the Department of Interior reported Friday that Trump appointed Assistant Secretary of the Interior Doug Dominic broke federal ethics laws. <gasps> I'm doing the Macaulay Culkin uh, face broke federal ethics laws by using his official email to pressure the Environmental Protection Agency into hiring his relative. Dominic is the father of the founder of The Federalist and the father-in-law of Meghan McCain. The family member in question that he was trying to push the EPA to hire is Eric Frandy. Frandy married Dominic's daughter, Emily, who is the senior policy advisor to Kevin McCarthy. So yeah, drain the fucking swamp, right? This is, this is nepotism insanity. 
Beans on the Interior Inspector General losing their job this Friday, by the way. That's just Beans. And one of the original Comey Five, Dana Bente, the top FBI legal counsel has been sacked by high-level officials at the Justice Department, rather than the FBI director, who's normally supposed to sack these people. This is exactly what happened to Andy McCabe, who is now suing the Department of Justice for wrongful termination. I hope Bente files a suit as well. However, he was forced to resign, and he did resign. Uh, And it came after recent criticism on Fox News of Dana Bente for his role in the Flynn investigation. And because he resigned, um, probably that might remove any threat of a lawsuit for wrongful termination. Uh, the Comey Five, by the way, which I mentioned at the top, that's an old phrase from way back in the day. In the early Mueller, she wrote uh, podcast, we talked about the Comey Five. And these were the top five FBI officials that Comey shared his memos with, his extemporaneous memos about Trump being a fucking weirdo and breaking the law. Uh, and it included uh, Bowditch, Gaddis, uh, McCabe, Bente uh, became the sixth person. Um, and, uh, you know, they, they, these were the five top FBI officials that, that knew about these contemporaneous notes, which Comey then took to his house, put in his safe and eventually gave to a friend to give to the to the uh, the press. To publish, which the inspector general Horowitz of the Department of Justice found was not criminal, by the way. But Bente was one of those original uh, who we've who's had a target on his back. And I'm surprised that he made it um, this long, to be honest. And Trump has vetoed a bill that would have blocked new regulations to tighten access to student loan forgiveness, despite outcries from the veterans, veteran community. This was a bipartisan resolution, bipartisan, that would have helped prevent shitting on veterans who were bilked by unscrupulous for-profit colleges. So Trump sided with DeVos over the veterans. This veto will allow stringent rules for students seeking loan forgiveness, toughening the standards that Obama established for student borrowers uh, seeking to prove that their colleges defrauded them and to have their federal loans forgiven. These new shit rules take effect July 1st, make it very hard for veterans to have their loans forgiven for being preyed upon by for-profit universities. That was a Betsy DeVos joint. And Trump sides with her over our veterans. Now, uh, I did want to address the past five nights of police brutality amid protests of the death of George Floyd by a white police officer named Chauvin, who knelt on his neck for nine minutes, almost three minutes after he, like the last three minutes there were after he stopped breathing. And I wanted to share with you what Governor Cuomo said about about it this morning. So let's listen to that clip. But look, the big issue is people are outraged. And I understand that. I'm outraged. It's not just George Floyd's killing, although that's enough to outrage a nation. It's uh, George Floyd, it's Ahmed Aubrey, it's Breonna Taylor, all just in the past three months. It's 30 years of Rodney King and Amadou Diallo and Sean Bell and Abner Louima, uh, and the same case in states all across this nation, uh, where only the name changes, but the color stays the same. You then had the first press conference by prosecutors uh, looking at the Minneapolis situation that frankly raised more questions than it answered. And the real issue 
is the continuing racism in this country. And it is chronic, and it is endemic, and it is institutional. All right, before we go to break, I'll just leave you with this quote I tweeted out a while ago. It's from Battlestar Galactica. It said, quote, there's a reason you separate military and the police. One fights the enemies of the state. The other serves and protects the people. When the military becomes both, then the enemies of the state tend to become the people. Coming up after the break, I will be speaking with the former Solicitor General and author of the special counsel regulations that govern the Mueller investigation, Neil Katyal, and I'll be talking to him about Flynn and the Chauvin-George Floyd case. So stay with us. Hey, everybody, it's AG, and this Helping of Daily Beans is brought to you by Helix Sleep, the best mattresses ever, as told to you by Joel, as told to you by Amanda Reeder, as told to you by Jordan Coburn, as told to you by yours truly. It is the best mattress you will ever sleep on. It's so comfortable. And right now, it's a very stressful time. We have worry. We have politics. We have global pandemics. But if night after night, you find yourself having difficulty falling asleep or restlessly tossing and turning, I recommend checking out Helix. I did. I discovered that my trouble sleeping came, you know, also from anxiety, but also from a very common cause, having the wrong mattress for how you sleep. There's nobody on the planet exactly like you, so why would you buy a generic mattress built for everyone else? Helix Sleep customizes the mattress to fit you and the way you sleep. Whether you're a side sleeper or a hot sleeper or you like a plush or firm bed, I'm personally a side sleeper and I sleep hot and I like a soft bed. Uh, And with Helix, there's no confusion, no compromising. Um, they match your body and your sleep preferences to the perfect mattress for you. So just go to helixsleep.com slash dailybeans. Take their two-minute sleep quiz. They'll match you to a customized mattress that will give you the best sleep of your life. They were awarded the number one best overall mattress pick of 2019 by GQ and Wired Magazine. They have a 10-year warranty, and you get to try it out for 100 sleeps, risk-free. They'll even pick it up for you, and if you know if you don't love it, uh, they'll pick it up. You don't have to pay for the shipping and restocking shit, but you will love it. You don't even have to worry about that. Helix is now offering up to $125 off all mattress orders for our listeners at helixsleep.com slash daily beans. That's helix, H-E-L-I-X, sleep.com slash daily beans for up to $125 off. All right, everybody, welcome back. Joining me today is former acting solicitor general and uh, author of the special counsel regulations that guided Mueller in his investigation. It's Neil Katyal. Neil, thank you for agreeing to speak with me today. Thank you. I'm a big fan of yours, so it's a real delight. Oh my gosh, oh, you, you you didn't tell me that. Thank you very much. Now I'm all now I'm all flush. Uh, I wanted to talk to you uh, today about the Flynn case because I've heard the term Solicitor General thrown around a couple times, and and that's uh, you're a pro at that. So there are deadlines coming up for the parties in this case, and we've been following this story closely, so our listeners are all caught up. But I think what we're missing here is what the upcoming filings and hearings, if there are evidentiary hearings, would look like. And so first, can you explain why the judge, Judge Sullivan, is being asked to respond in such short order to Flynn's mandamus request to have the case dismissed and, I think, to remove Sullivan from the case altogether? Why is he the one that has to respond to this? Yeah, I mean, this is a really extraordinary situation. You've got a guy who was President Trump's national security advisor, one of his very closest, you know, aides, and he pled guilty to uh, a felony, and he did so twice. And uh, he then hired a new legal team um, and claimed that, you know, this was kind of a, tra- a, um, a false prosecution. He was essentially entrapped into it and somehow convinced the Justice Department, which ordinarily defends prosecutions, to drop the prosecution after he'd already pled guilty. And so Judge Sullivan did um, what I think, you know, almost any 
judge would do in that circumstance, which is to say, hey, you know, I'm a little concerned about this, um, particularly given the prospect of presidential interference, which has been playing out in the public with the president's tweets and other statements. And so he decided to have a hearing about it. And at that moment, he decided to appoint uh, a former judge, Judge Gleason, to argue what the prosecution should have been arguing, which is, you know, he pled guilty, he did something wrong, there's all sorts of blackmail risks, all the things that you would expect the Justice Department in an ordinary administration to argue. Uh, And at that point, Flynn's lawyers said, oh, no, that's an abuse of power by the judge to appoint a friend of the court. And they ran to the Court of Appeals, the D.C. Circuit, our nation's second highest court, and said, you must stop this, an injustice is going to happen. And at that point, that then the D.C. Circuit set the case um, for evaluation, and that's what um, is playing out right now. And you're right, what they did when setting it was to say, hey, we want uh, the judge to explain his actions. That's a pretty unusual thing because the process that Flynn's lawyers used to run to the D.C. Circuit is called mandamus, which means the judge does something so egregiously wrong that the Court of Appeals has to step in immediately and stop it from happening. That's an almost impossible standard, the Supreme Court said many times. And, you know, there's all sorts of injustices um, in the world, and you can't run to the appellate courts to stop them. But this D.C. Circuit um, uh, group of judges said, hey, we want to at least evaluate this, and so, judge, you've got to respond. Um, And so that's why we're in the process that we're in right now is we're waiting for those briefs to come in to the D.C. Circuit, the Court of Appeals, um, one by the judge, um, one by Flynn's lawyers, um, and then we will, you know, see what happens. Yeah, and the courts seem to be going real conservative on, not not conservative, you know, uh, capital C, but uh, you know, to err on the side of being cautious in in all of these cases that we're seeing. I mean, we know that they're granting stays right and left, which is pretty unusual. Uh, do you think that the, having the judge respond to this and, and going through these motions might be in the name of just due process because this is the president of the United States or one of his close advisors, former national security advisor? Do you think that's it? I mean, it's so hard to just like sort of... Uh, predict like why the court is making certain moves. But uh, on the other hand, my understanding is that the judge isn't actually going to be responding to this directly. He's now hired an attorney. Correct. So uh, the judge has hired uh, Beth Wilkinson, a great trial lawyer, to uh, to make the argument for him, which I think doesn't strike me as unusual in that, you know, the judge has a day job. It's a little weird to think that he's going to be himself filing a brief. I think it's possible, but, you know, I think that that's not a particularly unusual thing. But obviously that attorney, Ms. Wilkinson, will be, you know, speaking for the judge, not speaking for herself in her own, you know, interests or anything like that. And, you know, I think you're right to say that because this case has the attention of the president of the United States, it's being treated differently. I mean, I think in any other circumstance, a mandamus petition like this, and, and honestly, this wasn't even a particularly well done mandamus petition, would have no chance of being granted or even taken seriously or even had briefings set. Um, you know, you could be Daniel Webster and, uh, and write a mandamus petition um, in an ordinary case, and it won't get granted. Um, 
And there's very little here to suggest that this is once you scratch below the surface of the names of the parties to see this as an unusual case. It's just not. Um, and so, I, you know, I think lawyers are always reluctant to predict outcomes. But on this one, there's no chance that um, mandamus will ultimately be granted. Maybe this panel will try and do it. I severely doubt it. But even if they do, the full D.C. circuit, um, if not the U.S. Supreme Court, would get involved at that instance. Because if they water down the mandamus standard here, it's going to be a recipe for disaster in trial after trial across the country, which is why an ordinary Justice Department would be really concerned about the abuse of mandamus that's going on in this case and to say to the court, hey, you can't have this mandamus here because if you do it here, it's going to throw a wrench into thousands of our criminal prosecutions across the country. That's the job of the Solicitor General, which is not to represent the president, but to look out for the long-term litigating interests of the United States. And, and unfortunately, um, that hasn't been happening here. Yeah, yeah, no. I mean, let's say you want to, you know, indict Obama in Obamagate later on. You could have, he could come up with a mandamus if you, <laughs> never mind. Uh, I'm just kidding. Um, that whole Obamagate thing just kills me. Now, uh, with the exodus of the, the Department of Justice prosecutors, leaving the case. Who's going to be filing on behalf of the prosecution, given Tim Shea's position expires June 3rd, I think? Uh, Sherwin has been named interim acting uh, U.S. attorney in D.C., and then Trump appointed the Cleveland U.S. attorney, or nominated, uh, to take the D.C. U.S. attorney job. It's like a musical chairs over there. Uh, So who's going to be right at this critical point of all these things coming due? Who's going to be arguing on behalf of the Department of Justice? Will it be the Solicitor General? Well, you know, I suspect it it may be someone from the Solicitor General's office, yes. So first of all, ordinarily, you would have the chief prosecutor in D.C. for the federal government, uh, what's called the U.S. attorney, representing the prosecution's position before the D.C. judge. Um, But unfortunately here, there are two problems. One is the prosecution has decided not to act as the prosecution, but to act as the defense attorney and to say, you know, that Flynn should be let go. And then the second thing is you've got this revolving cast of characters that you're referring to, Shea, Sherwin, and now this new person from Cleveland, all slated to be the chief prosecutor for the federal government. Um, And it's been rotating. And, you know, there was a very respected one, Jesse Liu, before that, that Trump had there for two years. But evidently, Trump got upset about her, uh, you know, wanting to prosecute Roger Stone. And so she lost her job or something, you know, so so the news reports say. Mm-hmm. Um, and, you know, I can just tell you that the prosecutors in the D.C. U.S. Attorney's Office, the career prosecutors, are sick and disheartened. And they can't believe what happened to that office because, Trump has so politicized it in every way, shape, and form. And that's why they've had so much trouble getting anyone to serve as the chief prosecutor. So, to, you know, that's a long way to answer your question, which is we actually have no idea who would represent the Justice Department in this case. Um, it ordinarily would be the U.S. attorney, but that U.S. attorney, you know, there, there's so many different ones, and um, everyone seems to be doing a little bit of duck and cover. So, I don't know what will happen in the end, um, but I do know that the process here, it should, you know, it'll play out. But I think what will happen at the end of that process is pretty clear, um, which is the judge will be, you know, vindicated in his decision to appoint 
an amicus, a friend of the court, uh, Judge Gleason, to argue uh, one side, the side that the Justice Department traditionally would argue, which is that uh, Flynn should be prosecuted, that the plea bargain should be accepted. Yeah, and it's almost like Sullivan saw this coming because in his minute order, and I, I haven't seen this now, of course, I've only been following, I'm not a lawyer, and I've only been following this stuff uh, for a couple of years. With Wait, the, you're with not the, a lawyer? No, no. <laughs> oh, my God. No, I'm not. Oh, wow. <laughs> <laughs> no, I'm not. I just uh, just picked up a few things on the way. But it, it, it surprised me that uh, Sullivan cited case law for uh, amicus curiae in his minute order. I'd never seen anything like that before. And it was almost like he anticipated there being an, being an issue with Sidney Powell uh, on this particular case. So, um, yeah. yeah and, I, and on that, just let me just break in for a second, because, you know, I, I, I thought that was pretty remarkable when I saw the citations. I was like, this is the most obvious proposition, and it is, that a judge can appoint an amicus. Um, you know, for example, once or twice every Supreme Court term, the Solicitor General looks at a prosecution in the Supreme Court and says, you know, we shouldn't have prosecuted that case. We're going to confess error. And when that happens, you have uh, the Supreme Court appoint an amicus curiae to argue the prosecution's position. Now, those are pretty extraordinary cases. Um, but they are, you know, what's known as confessions of error. And in that circumstance, of course, an amicus is appointed. And here, the critics are saying, like, you know, Flynn are saying, well, you appointed a biased person, Judge Gleason, who had written an op-ed, um, basically saying that the Flynn prosecution, that the dropping of the Flynn prosecution stunk. And of course, because that's what you want to do when you're appointing an amicus curiae. You're not appointing an independent mediator or impartial jurist, you're appointing someone to be an advocate for a position. So, you know, this judge, Judge Gle this retired judge, Judge Gleason, his mandate is to defend the prosecution of Flynn. So, of course, you want someone who's on the record saying that kind of stuff. I mean, there's nothing, I think, problematic about that um, whatsoever. Um, so I think that, you know, once one looks at what the judge did here, this is uh, what Judge Sullivan did here. This is not hard at all. Um, and, uh, um, you know, and he's going to be vindicated. Yeah. And Gleason has been transparent about that, too, in his um, filing to ask permission uh, to the court. I mean, he said, you know, I'm going to be opposing the counsel's motion to dismiss this case. And so, I mean, it's not some sort of secret, hidden, weird thing that's happening. Um, finally, before I let you go. Uh, I wanted to pivot to the news that's happening today, and I wanted to ask you about the Chauvin case. That's the officer arrested just now in the George Floyd case and his murder. And the Hennepin County attorney, Mike Freeman, announced that he's been charged with third degree murder and manslaughter and that he anticipates more charges, probably for the other officers. I'm not uh, I think he didn't really make that clear. What is your top line reaction to those charges in this case? And and also his announcement yesterday that they in the same breath, he said, look, I'm not going to comment on an ongoing investigation. But then he came, he, t he turned right around and said, but we do have evidence showing that it wasn't murder. And so I'm just kind of curious what you what your thoughts on these charges are and if they're appropriate. Yeah, well, obviously, this news is all breaking in, in real time. Literally, it's just been, uh, you know, a few minutes since uh, the announcement of the indictments. And so I think we've got to study it and see. But maybe a couple of guideposts, you know, um, 
that might be helpful. Um, number one is uh, it's certainly possible for the prosecutors to add additional charges to supersede the indictment with additional stuff. So the fact that it's third-degree murder and manslaughter right now doesn't mean that the charges couldn't go up. The second is I'm very heartened to see a prosecution here because it was really scary to me after hearing the prosecutor's comments yesterday. I mean, we've all seen the video and what happened. And, um, you know, maybe there is some sort of exculpatory evidence. I can't quite imagine what that would be. But, you know, I'm willing to, to have some sort of, uh, you, know, you know, obviously we won't have a trial and so on, but to truncate it as the prosecutor did yesterday and say, you know, make it seem like there was going to be no indictment whatsoever, I thought was pretty surprising because, boy, you'd have to have some really serious exonerating evidence to say something like that. Yeah. And then the last thing is, I'm sure some of your listeners are wondering what is third-degree murder versus first-degree murder, which is what a lot of the community um, and, frankly, people around the country are calling for. And, you know, legally, um, you know, every state does it differently. I've taught criminal law now 20 different times. Um, at Georgetown, though, now I'm starting to think uh, that maybe I don't really teach very much since people like you who don't even go to law school know more than I do. Um, but um, um, in any event, the classic difference is for first-degree murder, it's got, you've got to show premeditation. You've got to show that the person planned it in some way, shape, or form. Um, at least that's the classic common law version of it. Now, in recent years, most states have watered that down to mean even a moment of reflection beforehand is enough. So there are cases in which, for example, people are playing high-stakes poker, someone cheats, and another person pulls a gun out and shoots and is charged with first-degree murder, and the defense says, hey, that wasn't premeditated, nobody was lying in wait and planning this out for months and so on. And courts have said, nope, even a moment of reflection before you pull out the gun and shoot is enough. So it very well may be that there is premeditation uh, in this case. That's going to depend a lot on the facts and the way in which the Minnesota courts have interpreted premeditation. And, you know, I, I, I certainly haven't analyzed that in the few minutes since uh, we've heard the news. Yeah, I think more on that story will develop, but I appreciate you laying out those guide po guide guideposts for us. Um, it has been an honor to speak with you. Will you tell our listeners where they can find the new normal and what that's about? Uh, absolutely. So, yeah, so on my uh, on both my Twitter, which is Neil underscore Katyal, K-A-T-Y-A-L, um, or on Instagram, which is the at symbol and then N-E-A-L-K-A-T-Y-A-L, um, I've learned something different, which is not really about the law, but just about kind of what people are going through um, in the age of COVID-19. And I have all sorts of people, activists, actors, uh, chefs like Samin Nosrat, this week has Sophia Bush, the actress, and Jacqueline Almany, the Washington Post columnist. Um, you know, all sorts of different folks on to just talk about how they're getting through things um, and, uh, and about life and about um, what to look forward to. And I think in the next weeks, we're going to have some really exciting uh, people show up on this. It's just an informal digital salon. And I hope um, folks watch it. It's uh, underscore, it's Neil Katyal, uh, N-E-A-L-K-A-T-Y-L at Instagram. Excellent. Thank you so much. Former acting solicitor general, Georgetown law professor, Supreme Court lawyer, architect of the special counsel regulations, Neil Katyal. Neil, thanks for answering our questions today. Thank you. Everybody stick around. We'll be right back with the good news block and quarantine confessions. You don't want to miss it. Stay with us. 
Hey everybody, it's AG, and this portion of Daily Beans is brought to you by Sunsoil CBD. From lattes to dog treats, CBD is popping up in everything, but it's very confusing. It can be very complicated. Where do you start? What's the dosage? How do you tell what's good? What's not? And even more importantly, who can you trust? Uh, those were some of the questions I had. I'm new to this. Uh, I haven't been in the federal government for so long. But uh, Sunsoil CBD has all the answers. Uh, with Sunsoil, you know what's in every bottle and exactly where it came from. There's no second guessing because the only, they only use ingredients you can understand and trust. Most of their products uh, have just two, two ingredients, organic hemp and organic coconut oil. Transparency and quality control are what set Sunsoil apart from the rest. They farm all their own hemp in the Green Mountains of Vermont and extract CBD that they extract the CBD themselves. And they test for quality and purity every single step of the way. It's all transparent and they're, they're just, it's so good. They never use pesticides, never use herbicides or GMOs. Uh, because Sunsoil does everything in-house, it keeps their products simple. They can offer the highest quality CBD at unbeatable prices. In fact, Sunsoil products are half the price of other ingestible CBD brands. Every Sunsoil product is USDA organic, including their oil drops, soft gels, capsules, and coconut oil. Uh, I'd like to put a few of their oil drops in my morning coffee uh, tomorrow. It's really worked out well today. Sometimes after a workout in a smoothie, um, or sometimes I take a soft gel at night before getting some great sleep, but Sunsoil removes all the guesswork, and that's big for me. They make it pure and simple. Um, it's CBD products that are at an unbeatable price, uh, and you get 30% off your first order by going to sunsoil.com slash dailybeans. That's sunsoil, S-U-N-S-O-I-L dot com slash dailybeans for 30% off your first order. All right, everybody, welcome back. It's time for the good news. And joining me today for the Good News Block is Amanda Reeder. How are you, Amanda? I'm doing all right. How you doing? I'm okay. I'm okay. It's a, it's a, it's a, it's a, it's been weird. Mm-hmm. Let's just say that. And we definitely yeah. need some good news. So I'm really, yeah. really, really looking forward to this segment. And I have to <laughs> extra thank our listeners for sending in the good news uh, because we all need it. Yeah, it's a really insane time. I've been watching you know, these protests the last few days. And um, I mean, if if living through a pandemic wasn't already enough of a dystopia um, and everything else that happened before the pandemic with Trump, this is just sort of, I don't know, it's a, uh, it barely seems real when you look at the news. But amidst all of that, there are little good news stories. So let's read some. <laughs> yes, please. So the first one is from Becca. Um, and actually, this is kind of very timely. Becca says, um, I have a bit of a humble brag. I just wanted to share uh, for the good news block. Yesterday, I helped organize a peaceful protest in Columbus, Ohio, for seeking justice for George Floyd, Ahmed Arbery, and Breonna Taylor. The other organizers and I decided we wanted to do something on Thursday morning. And in less than 48 hours, we had over 7,000 people interested or going on our Facebook event. All in all, our protest went, I know, our protest went extremely well. Our community really stepped up. I'd say we had about 2,000 people actually show up, but I haven't seen any official numbers, so I'm not positive. We asked for supply donations, and I'd say we had thousands of dollars worth of bottled water, baby wipes, goggles, and earplugs, as well as dozens of medics and legal observers volunteer their time. And we partnered with several Black-led organizations here in Columbus as well. 
Near the end of it, uh, CPD, the uh, Columbus uh, Police Department, showed up in riot gear, and of course people ended up staying. There was a lot of tear gas and pepper spray used on innocent folks, including our Congresswoman Joyce Beattie, Columbus City Council President Shannon Harden, and Franklin County Commissioner Kevin Boyce. Shannon Harden actually tweeted about bringing reforms to our police department, but only time will tell if something actually happens here. Also, I hope Joyce introduces legislation at the federal level, so I guess we'll see. Thank you for everything you do and keeping us informed. That's amazing. 7,000 people in such a short amount of time. That's incredible. Excellent. Mm -hmm. Excellent. People are riled up. Uh, Here's a lighter one for us for the next one. And they put their username is from Trump is forever impeached. (laughs) Uh, (laughs) And they say, not sure if this is good news or schadenfreude, but anyway, Trump's hair is definitely bigly thinning. Like it's getting more and more noticeable, which leads me to some beans that he actually was taking hydroxychloroquine, hydroxychloroquine, because hair loss is one of the side effects. (laughs) Like he needs any help, right? <laughs> right. Um, here's a really sweet one. This is from uh, from Gabe. And Gabe said, uh, I've been avoiding addressing my mental health for about two years, blowing it off as an issue that I just need to maintain a routine or that I'm too tired. I've been scared about the cost um, with the insurance I had uh, and then the insurance that I lost. But my girlfriend has always supported me and taken a stand that I get the help that I need. Her therapist recommend I look into OHP, which is Oregon's public health plan, because they are trans-friendly, I'm non-binary, and have a heavy focus on mental health. After two years of avoiding and keeping my head in the sand, it took a total of two weeks to apply, qualify, and find a naturopathic primary care physician, a prescription to address my bipolar 2, and find a therapist to talk to. I was scared about filling my prescription because even with my old insurance, my, my inhaler costs like $60, but as if Oregon Public Health wasn't amazing enough already, they, they cover prescriptions as well, so it was all free. May is Mental Health Awareness Month, and I just wanted to say for anyone out there struggling, there are so many resources people don't even know about, and I know how hard it can be when the world is heavy and dark, how hard it can be to ask for help, or how scary the little steps seem forward. But please, please ask for help. Take those steps forward. Mountains can still be climbed by taking baby steps. All it decides, all it takes is deciding to move forward. I also want to acknowledge and thank my girlfriend, Naomi, because she is the best partner a person could ask for. Saturday is Naomi's birthday. Happy birthday to the best loving sparkly dork in all the land. And thank you for everything you do on this podcast. We listen religiously and you all are a beacon of light and a trusting voice that so many of us appreciate and value. Wow. I know. That's that's really inspirational. Yeah, it really is. And, you know, I actually... um, very vulnerable moment. I actually started mental health medication for the first time in my life in February. And I've re- it's something I put off for a long, 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 long time. And I think it's really made a noticeable difference in terms of <sighs> taking the edge off of some of my uh, tendency to catastrophize and, and the things that make the world feel like the darkest and hardest to cope with. I think that um, finally seeking the help I, I needed and, and, and finally... Uh, refraining from shaming myself that I I might feel better if I took some medication um, was a really powerful step forward. So yeah, for anyone listening who's, that's something they struggle with. I know it depends on the culture you come from, the family you come from, your own personal experiences as to whether you do or don't seek help. But um, yeah, I think that's a really important thing to to discuss, especially at a time like this. Wow. Yes. Agreed. A hundred percent. Yeah. All right. This next one is from Mo. Mo said, in case you didn't know, federal courts are pushing back on Trump's drill plans uh, and burn plans. And uh, and they linked to an L.A. Times article about this. 
Um, this is a nice little, a, a nice good news story for the climate. Um, it says, I'll just read the first few paragraphs here. It says, federal courts have delivered a string of rebukes to the Trump administration over what they found were failures to protect the environment and address climate change as it promotes fossil fuel interests and the extraction of natural resources from public lands. Judges have ruled administration officials ignored or downplayed potential environmental damage in lawsuits over oil and gas leases, gas leases, coal mining, and pipelines to transport fuels across the U.S. Um... I guess this uh, latest ruling came on Thursday when an appeals court refused to revive a, a prog- uh, revive a program that permits oil and gas pipelines that a lower court had canceled. So, yeah, we've been reporting on those. Yeah, yeah. I guess I haven't been listening to the main beans because <laughs> I just report on the good news. But that's great. Um, love that. Um, this next one is very sweet. And uh, may I add before I read this because the person who wrote in is a is a ranger for a national park service. I can't think oh, of rad. a better place to be during a pandemic where you don't want to be around people than in the middle of fucking nowhere. That sounds so great. <laughs> but uh, this is a really sweet little good news story from Anonymous. And they say, uh, hey, folks, my partner and I are both rangers for the National Park Service that have been together for five years. Over half of that, we have been stationed at different parks, sometimes over a thousand miles away from each other. As rangers, we have had very little opportunity to take time off or enough extra money to fly out to see the other one. Many times we would only see each other two or three times each year, never more than a week at a time. At the beginning of the year, I was given the opportunity to transfer to a park closer to hers, and we found a place to live roughly in the middle, meaning we are finally together again. We are in different parks and have different schedules, but it is a hell of a lot better than being so far apart. Within a month of moving in together, this whole pandemic thing happened, and we have not been able to explore the beautiful world around us at all. After begging and pleading with both of our supervisors, as of th- as of this next week, we will both have the same days off all summer long. Now, not only are we together, but we can get back to what we really love, which is making lifelong memories on trails and ruining each other's pictures by making dumb faces in the background. Thank you all for giving me the episodes I need to fill my two-hour-long commute. Damn, that's a long commute. And giving me oh a my gosh to share how happy I am to spend real time with my partner again. Uh, side note, if you choose to visit any local, state, or national park, please take a second to thank any rangers you meet right now. We are understaffed, underfunded, and already drained this summer before the summer even starts. Thanks again and all the best. We will. I will. Yeah. Isn't that nice? Yes. <sighs> yeah, it is nice. It's it's nice. I'm I'm glad these little wonderful things are are happening for people at a time like this, um, and that you can be together with your partner again. <laughs> I know, I know. And um, uh, yeah, I didn't I didn't even realize how badly understaffed national parks were right now. Honestly. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, I I didn't know either, but I mean, it's unsurprising. Everything good is underfunded right now because of Trump. I mean, think of a good thing that exists in this country. It's probably underfunded. <laughs> yeah, true. Um, On a lighter note, this is a good news story from John. John said, in case you didn't know, you can get Funfetti cake in individual servings. <laughs> Where? What? Where? <laughs> yeah, and then he linked to a Target link. Target has Funfetti cake in individual servings? Apparently. Do you have to make it yourself? Is that what's happening? Uh, it's a, it was a link to uh, uh, a Betty Crocker mug treat. Betty Crocker rainbow chip cake mix mug treat. Oh, well, holy shit. Yeah. yeah. Send me that link. That's important. I will. <laughs> that's, 
that is important. Uh, I'm trying to stop with the uh, earlier in the pandemic, earlier in the quarantine, I was like, I deserve this whole box of Oreos. i'm trying to to move away from the like i'm sad so it's okay if i eat everything which of course it is no no food like food is not inherently moral or not moral but um i'm just not even fitting into my sweatpants right now so i'm trying to move into the mindset of i'm sad so i deserve this exercise (laughs) Mm. that's somewhat helpful but uh the oreos are still calling to me Uh, I haven't eaten this much pizza since I was like 22 also. It's an ultimate comfort food. Yeah, I've been eating. Uh, I, I did pretty good this week. Um, I did mm-hmm. polish off an entire box of Girl Scout cookies. And I did, uh, must confess, uh, yesterday I had some, some French fries. But I've been mostly eating like vegetables and, and uh, you know, clean, um, locally sourced uh, chicken nice. and and things like that. So it's mm-hmm. been I've been pretty pretty good, but man, mm-hmm. it's it's tough when you really want that comfort food. You know what I mean? Yeah, absolutely. I have um, I have one more good news story for us. Oh, let's hear it. Yeah, one more. This is from uh, Bex, and uh, they said I live in Huntsville, Alabama. I've never been to Alabama, nor do I know anything about Huntsville. But uh, I live in Huntsville, Alabama. Uh, home to the University of Alabama at Huntsville and the UAH Chargers, the only Division One college hockey team in the Deep South. Well, that speaks to my soul um, as a Canadian who loves hockey. It's a huge source of pride, uh, local pride and jobs, as the college program has raised enough of a hockey culture here for a local pro team reigning Southern Professional Hockey League champs and several junior sports leagues. Last week, the university president and athletic director announced that the hockey team would be disbanded due to budget cuts from COVID-19. Um, since there aren't many other schools with hockey teams that uh, down here, travel costs are enormous. Our biggest rival is in Minnesota, for fuck's sakes. Oh, wow. <laughs> uh, <laughs> they announced it during the Friday Friday news dump right before Memorial Day weekend to try and avoid backlash. However, they underestimated the love of the team by the community, and by Sunday, they announced that if the team could raise $1 million by the close of business on Friday, May 29th, the team would live on. Local team alumni and boosters then announced if the community could raise 500000 they would they would match the donations. It's just after lunch on May 29th, and I'm happy to report that between a GoFundMe and booster t-shirt sales, the team is just over the 500 k mark and going strong. Hockey fans from all over the world pitched in after some pro players and hockey websites got the word out. It's a little weird to have such a strong passion for hockey in such a football-obsessed state, but it's one of the things that makes Huntsville, Huntsville. Stay safe. That's so cool. 500000 already huh yeah congratulations on saving your favorite hockey team huntsville that's that's rad i mean dude teams are like team sports are such an important part of community for so many folks you know yeah yeah that's awesome (sighs) it's everything we can do to sort of preserve our communities right now i think is is important so excellent work build them up rather than tear them down yeah 100 percent all right well um Thank you. Where can people send their good news stories to us so we can continue to bring them? People can send their good news stories to us. It's on the pin tweet at Daily Beans Pod, and you can find it at uh, on our contact page on our website. If you can't find it, you know, uh, just let us know and we'll send it to you. Um, also, I'm going to add a uh, pronoun dropdown on the good news slash confession submission form because I know a lot of people have been like putting their pronouns within within the note or whatever, and I don't want it to get lost. So I've had a few instances of people letting me, letting me know their pronouns um, 
in other areas of their confession. So I just want to make sure we get those right, especially as we turn Quarantine Confessions into its own show. Yes, I was just going to say, speaking of Quarantine Confessions, where you you would normally hear them right now, um, mm-hmm. but we are, uh, we have such an incredible and overwhelming response of your embarrassing and guilty uh, confessions from <laughs> from from quarantine that uh, it warrants its own show. It's getting a spinoff, and and the debut show comes out Saturday, this Saturday, June sixth. Uh, if you're a patron, you're going to get it on Fridays, um, and for now, you'll get it ad free. Uh, as long as we can afford to do that. Um, and so that is one of the benefits, one of the perks of being a patron, uh, aside from, you know, <clears throat> being able to take part in the first hour of our quarantine happy hour live stream uh, that happens every Friday and uh, getting these Daily Beans episodes the night before they come out to the public and you get them ad free. Um, and so thank you very much. Your support means everything, especially during this this time. Uh, and, uh, I, I just am daily blown away by the amount of support that we get. So please, please, uh, if you can, great. If not, just subscribe, um, wherever you get your podcast that helps out a lot too. And, 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 you know, we'll keep doing things for people who can't really swing to have, you know, swing a, a premium membership in this, in this economy, in these times. So, um, any final thoughts, Amanda? Just take care of yourselves, everybody. Um, that's it for me. Yeah, give yourself, show yourself some grace. Give yourself some room to to feel things. And mm-hmm. everybody, please just take care of yourselves. Take care of each other. Take care of the planet and take care of your mental health. I've been AG. I've been Amanda Reader. And them's the beans. The Daily Beans is executive produced and directed by AG and Jordan Coburn and engineered and edited by Mackenzie Mazel and Starburns Industries. Our marketing manager, executive assistant, production and social media direction is Amanda Reeder. Fact-checking and research by AG, Jordan Coburn, and Amanda Reeder. Our music is written and performed by They Might Be Giants. Our web design and branding are by Joel Reeder with Moxie Design Studios. And our website is dailybeanspod.com. <laughs>